Welcome to Married to Who, a podcast where a couple of couples watch Doctor Who for the very first time. My name's Jake, with me are Cody Sam, Jill and Alex, and producer Terry. This week we're here to talk about Eaters of Light. The Eaters of Light, written by Rona Munro, directed by Charles Palmer, aired June 17th, 2017. Cody. Shift on. Shifting. What'd you think of this one? It was fine. I... I, I'm leaning towards, no, it was fine. It was good with bad bits. It it seemed kind of slapped together. It's it just filler on filler with a little bit of really good material towards the end. Sam? I wouldn't mind not watching it again. <laughs> Jill? I really liked it. Terry? I liked it a lot. It was really fun to watch. Alex? I agree. I think it was a good episode. Um, there were some fun bits, and I, I like the things that are like they're doing something in perpetuity now, and that's just cool to me. Jake. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, yeah, I this was the second time I've ever seen this, the first time being June 17th, 2017. Uh, it was good. But, but not like, I'll, good. <laughs> um, I'll get more into into it later about like why I think it kind of doesn't work. But I think all the parts are there for a good story. That's kind of the thing that I'm struggling to identify is it really doesn't seem like a cohesive story. But like I didn't fall asleep. I did in the middle reach for my phone and start looking at Twitter, which is kind of my personal indicator of when. And then I had to like rewind five minutes because I wasn't paying attention to what was happening. Yeah. Man, with the amount of money they put into CGI for that monster, though, like that could have been spent on a really good story. (laughs) Could say the same thing about Wonder Woman 84. Oh, no. Oh, Oh, is it bad? No. (laughs) I didn't like it at all. Oh, no. Sad. I really did like a lot of elements about this story, including a little, like, feud between, you know, the Scots and the Roman army. Uh, I I really like the idea of how this story starts, of just, like, a true historical where Bill and the Doctor, there's, like, a real mystery in history, and... They just, like, have differing opinions on what went down, and they're like, hey, we got a fucking time machine, let's go check it out. Like, if a story was just that, I would be super into it, but you gotta cram a fucking monster in there. True. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and boy, did they cram. The Doctor was a dick in this episode. (laughs) You're gonna like tweets. Just because he was right? No, (laughs) not... Okay. What made him you a dick? You can be a dick and right. That's so confusing. What made him a dick? 
He yeah. dug into everybody he talked to the entire episode. He dug into Bill. He dug into the Centurion. He fucking slashed into that Scotch lady. He, yeah. I think he was just like having a crisis because he really thought he was the one that was going to have to end this. And that's where I guess I just thought he was being emotional because of that. Because he thought he was going to be stuck here forever and isn't ready for that, but wanted to put make himself available or put himself in that situation. So I guess I just read it as having a lot of emotions, knowing what's coming. Well, I thought by the time he got to that point that he was kind of less harsh than he would have been in other seasons. Like, I wrote down that in, in previous seasons, he would have given that big speech that he gives at the end in like a pleading and begging way, and he would have been really emotional. And in this season, because he's kind of changed a bit, He's kind of doing it more as a lecture. He's much more calm and patient in his delivery and is or just patient with the people that are listening. And he just because he like knows that when he's done talking, they're all going to see it his way. And maybe that's because he just spent 70 years being a teacher and he's gotten really good at it. Maybe. But at the same time, like both of those two armies, super young except for like the one random old Celt in the back row or something like that. But mm-hmm. like they were all children and the whole time, like the gatekeeper was on a giant pity me party because she was like, Oh God, I let him out to destroy and like save my people. But then at the same time I failed at my job. I don't know what to do. And it was just like, just man up, do your job like you're supposed to have in the beginning and just do it. And like, none of these kids were like ballsing up to do anything. So it was very much a bark at them and get them to stop hitting themselves to get into their mindset. These of, kids were war. being set on by a legion of Roman soldiers. <laughs> right. Yeah, but same I as hundred percent disagree like... with everything Terry just said. <laughs> They were the opposite of woe is me. They were like, we will be able to handle this. We will fight it. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, at the Leave very end, after he barked at she them. She was doing that the whole time. Like, yeah, no, she was she sad because her family died yeah. and they lost, like, all their people. And the whole but she time... was never not, like, she didn't need a pep talk to garner the strength to do what she needed to do. She had it the whole time. She was never cowering or anything. It's not like she was sitting in a corner crying. It's also a monster that comes at particular times of the day. So if they're all sitting around talking, it's because it's daytime and it doesn't come out. And how long have they dealt with this creature? Like a day? Because this thing destroyed that whole army in like a day. Well, not just their that army, but the Scots too. So maybe she has just taken on this mantle of protector today and it's new and they're all still kind of because they even say when she comes back they're like oh did you get the gatekeeper's things because she had to go like find his dead body and grab all of his stuff oh is that what they meant i was like what are the things that's what she was doing at the beginning right no at the beginning when we first saw her she was she was mourning her she was mourning the fallen people okay yeah but I also think that she she has been the gatekeeper the whole time because she said she let it out, which, in my opinion, is really smart. Like, when you're staring down the barrel of an army and you have this thing, like, hell yeah, 
I probably would have done the same thing. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah. That's not probably something we've seen is. the doctor do before. Yeah. <laughs> Unleash a monster on the enemies and then figure out later how to stop the monster. <laughs> right. Yeah, that whole move made sense. And then she was dealing with the repercussions. Like, she was mourning the fallen and then, um, hunt, like, actively hunting. Like, there were scenes where they were in the woods hunting this thing because they knew it was um, injured or whatever. But also, we have a tendency, and I only notice this when I'm listening to other podcasts. I don't really notice it when we're just kind of talking in the moment of, like, taking any dialogue that's said out loud and thinking that it's the truth. Like, people in the story can just be wrong. No. That's true. Especially the doctor. There's so many podcasts where someone's like, well, the doctor said blah, 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 blah. So it has to be that. It's like, the doctor had no fucking idea what he was talking about. He just walked in and said something to get everyone to shut up. I really liked Bill's character in this story. And I haven't been super impressed by things she's done recently. But I don't know. I just thought she really... Well, just the like, whole the whole small bit of her figuring out how the TARDIS is translating everything, like the doctor was watching her figure that out and was like excited. It's weird to me. I I asked Alex several times throughout the episodes, different or throughout this story, different questions about her, and he's like, "Bill didn't know any of this. Like, we can get there later, but about the vault that she's just like learning things on the fly, and that she really hasn't like the doctor hasn't taken the time to teach her a lot of this stuff. So I. I was right. just, I really liked her character in this story to just jump in and help and, you know, join the, join the crew and like handling the deaths really well too. Cause that would be a terrifying thing. Like she really hasn't experienced a lot of that, that we've seen where she's just working hand in hand with someone that dies right in front of her. Even though yeah. she was doing, she was doing like that one trope that we all hate is, oh, I need to find the doctor. He'll make it right. <laughs> Like, that was really her drive, but it makes sense in this instance. But it's also, like, her first time completely apart from the Doctor the entire story. For two days. And not, like, not falling apart. Like, she handled it well. And, uh... It also seemed like they were pretty content just staying underground forever. And she (laughs) had to do something to get them motivated to, (laughs) to try things. So if I think she was using the doctor like that, like a, there's somebody that can fix this. We just need to find him. Otherwise, really... they were just going to sit there. And I asked Alex, I'm like, is this just a giant orgy or what? So they were just going <laughs> to stay and do whatever they're doing the rest of their life. I really like uh, Bill's line in that, where it's like, I'm going up there to find my friend. If you come with me, I, I can't promise that you're going to stay alive, but I can promise you won't die in a hole. And I thought that was great. And it's just, I mean, it's just perfect. It's a really motivating line. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> and a, a great moment of the Doctor and Bill being reunited. And the Doctor kind of making reference to it the whole time that he knew Bill was okay. He's like, whatever she found, she's either handled it and we're going to find her or she's just safe. Like she just went somewhere and is like staying at a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also love that the Romans were like, obviously, this is the first female they've seen for a while. And there's just immediately on her. There is one brief moment where Bill's like, oh, I'm about to get raped by nine dudes. And maybe that's just because Alex and I and Terry are watching a lot of First Doctor stuff. And I just watched The Time Meddler, which has a very apparent rape in it. 
and uh it was a very brief moment but then <laughs> finding out that like everyone's cool they she says that she's into ladies and they're like oh you know it's a little narrow-minded uh, narrow-minded but whatever <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious we're, we're about that free love down here in the hole <laughs> but that's a that's a roman thing like dudes hung out with dudes constantly well and the the one the one line was like no i'm normal guys girls whatever yeah <laughs> i thought that was really interesting <laughs> I liked all the slights uh, towards Scotland, like right in the beginning. Like, uh, it's supposed to be damp at Scotland. Or, um... Oh, um, there's another one where uh, Nardal says it, where they find that dead body. Yep. And Nardal goes, what could do that? And the doctor says, a complete lack of sunlight. And he goes, death by Scotland. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that one a lot. I friggin' love Nardal, well, always, but especially in this he was, story. He had all the good lines in this story. And why really Why is good. he carrying popcorn in his bag? I just can't. And then he, <laughs> Unpopped popcorn. Right? He was going to make popcorn. <laughs> and then He's he pulls out a different bed. snack later. That's what Alex said. He's just trying to go to bed. I'm like, so he needs unpopped popcorn? Well, he's going to pop it. He just didn't get the chance. It's the best. Like, now that I know Nardle just carries snacks around in his bag, I like him even more. When he first pulls out the popcorn, the doctor asks him what he's doing. He says, I'm ingratiating myself into their culture. <laughs> and then when the doctor goes in that vortex thingy and he's gone for two days, he comes back and Nardle's just one of them. His yeah. face is painted. He's got a kilt on. Yeah, it was super good. I love that the doctor is unfazed by him, but he it would have been fun to see a little bit bigger of a reaction. I, I mean, I think he reacted how the doctor would react, but thinking it's yeah. been like two seconds and it's been two days. I liked how the uh, how everyone kind of understood the situation after they all got together because the TARDIS was translating everything and everyone sounded like children. And then that was kind of a thing, like Bill said to the doctors, like, oh, so everything you hear from everyone in the universe is just everyone sounding like children. And I thought that was kind of cool because, you know, the doctor's old and just knows a lot and probably thinks everyone sounds like children. That part kind of bugged me because children is not a sound or a language. What do children sound like? It's not a language. So is it just like the doctor hears them babbling like he speaks to babies, like everybody? It's just like <laughs> no, cooing? It's... It's, it's it's like in the Zygon Invasion, Zygon Inversion, when he says, you're all the same, he's screaming kids. Like, he's talking about the language of war, being like people who are fighting are behaving like children. Yeah. It's not a literal language. And if you're a higher functioning being like the doctor, it's, uh, sounds like children bickering. Uh, Missy stuff was cool. Super that's cool. the that's the juxtaposition here, right? Because Missy has has tried to kill humanity so many times and betrayed the doctor another number of times. And when the doctor interacts with Missy, he's just like, "Oh, you poor baby, I believe in you, and we're gonna get there together." When juxtaposed with humanity, which he's constantly trying to save, and he's just so irate and always just yelling and shit. Anyone else have anything to say about Missy? I just have to say that, like, I liked the story. And then Michelle Gomez comes in and it just changes it completely for the better. It's like, oh, it didn't matter what else happened in this story because now Michelle Gomez is here. 
and that's now like the thing, which I think is such a Missy character and such a Missy Missy thing that it fits so well. She's so good. She's a huge scene thief. Like she really is. It, it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. She said, "It doesn't matter what happens in the episode. When you see Missy, you're like, all right, let's go. What's happening? This is good stuff.'" <laughs> and like, she's already stealing the scene when she's just like sitting on that chair reading a book. But then she gets up and is just like prowling around the set. And she, my favorite part, she walks by Bill, and Bill's just staring at her, and so. Missy like opens her own mouth and then uses her hand to close her chin <laughs> and it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, and then she goes and lays on the stairs and then just pops up and does another lap around the room. She's just the best. Surely is. I like the conversation with her and the doctor at the end in like Missy's crying again and not understanding how or why and the doctor like when they ask like are can we be friends again? And he says something to the effect of, uh, that's the trouble with hope. It's hard to resist. And he like, let's go over hands. You're going like this, like we can't trust it just yet. And I was like, oh my God, no, be friends. Like, I really want this to work. <laughs> Harry, you're, you're drinking the Kool-Aid. Stop it. It's the master. Don't it's be such that good guy. Kool-Aid. I Don't really, be that guy. I really liked the, um, the line before that scene like it was the beginning of that scene was um, when she's like, I don't know why I'm crying. And he's like, well, you might be trying to put on a show and impress me or, and then she's like, or what? And he's like, well, the alternative is much more than the devious plan, which insinuates her having to deal with everything she's done and actually go through the paces to become a good person is going to be way harder than just being evil, which I thought was really cool. It's like, not eating sugary foods. Yeah, you're exactly gonna feel like better in the long run, but damn, it's gonna be hard. <laughs> it, it'd be just so easy to eat that cake. The one thing I didn't like about this episode is, or one of the things I guess, is um, like Bill's fascination at the end with, but doc- the doctor, the vault, the vault. Um, that I just thought that was so weird from where Bill came from in the story to using the vault as the doctor's excuse for not being able to stay. Um, And I did. That's one of the things I mentioned to Alex. And he's like, well, the vault is new to her. She didn't know about it. But that's that just doesn't seem like the doctor to me. Like, he's not going to not stay to save these people just to watch over Missy. Unless she's just, it's just really that important. The doctor previously stated it doesn't matter if he leaves because he could just go back to the last time he left the vault. That way he never actually left the vault then. But, I mean, like Jake said, that could be just completely false, that in combination with the continuum of time between Missy and the doctor. Also, Missy's not in the vault right now, and it seems... (laughs) Well, he's the only one that knew that. (laughs) Yeah, so why does he care? But also, he's intending to guard the gate forever. Yeah. Not... Not un- not up to a point and then get back in the TARDIS and go back to what? where he left. No, he... you just have to guard the gate until the sun goes down. Which no. There's a... no, till the sun dies. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, the sun will die. That's not forever. <laughs> okay, fair. It's the year... We, we were there once. <laughs> Two, 200 billion? But Missy only has, what is it, a thousand years in the vault? <laughs> yeah. 
So but I mean, after <laughs> after 200 billion years, when the sun expands, then he can get in the TARDIS and go back to 2017. Maybe what this if- is a sign that he really is trusting Missy right now, because he's like, I don't need to go back to the vault. One, she's not even in the vault. Two, eh. Doesn't matter. She's but he's fine. also said it so she can't access the TARDIS or leave the TARDIS. Yeah, that's but he did what also... Bill and Nardal are for. Well, he also told them, like, go ahead and just hit the go back home button. So they'll go back home, and then Missy's just in the TARDIS, and now there's no thousand-year clock. She's just in there forever. <laughs> yeah, this is an infinite room. She'll have a good time. All right, Terry, give me 60 seconds on Bill's outfit. Ooh. Um, I liked it a lot. I like the idea that she had red and she was paired off with the Romans uh, in this episode as well. So she kind of blended in with them and kind of assumed their role as commander as well uh, at the end. So I like that idea of the matching color representation mix in there. Um, Otherwise, I thought she was pretty well put together uh, as a whole, very shapely, wonderful hair. She looked great all around. I really liked the detail of the black slime and it fading um, throughout, you know, as it had contact with the sun. And you could see it throughout the rest of the story fading. I thought that was super cool. Yes, very good. I I liked the, uh, I wrote down the, the Scottish uh, crew is really cool. And I liked the crows, like how they could talk. And then now they're just saying her name to echo her name throughout time. I thought yeah. that was really cool. That was a neat pull together. I do like when they do that. And it was a nice way to clean up the rest of the 9th Battalion because they all went into that rift, so none of them survived. Yeah. And they're battling for eternity. Like, that's just so Yay. cool to me. Like they Eternal glory. They're, they're partying with their minstrels and just slaying. <laughs> that part made me laugh so hard. When the, the two warriors step in and right behind him is just this one guy doot-dooting away on his little trumpet thing. <laughs> you got to keep morale up, man. I dream of having that minstrel that follows me around into a rift where they are damned to fight for eternity. Let me go practice my flute a little bit. <laughs> that's that's how I that's how I imagine like every every time I play bard in D and D is just doot doot in the back playing guitar or drums, just <laughs> slaying I got you, music. Bro. Yeah. Just sunglasses <laughs> tipped, pointing out. You just play a sick rift. Hell yeah! Pointing well, at some dude. That's well, for you, bitch. <laughs> while the barbarians just raging and mosh pitting. <laughs> The battlefield just completely changes. Alex, give me that Twitter theme song. No, not yet. <laughs> Sorry, I just remembered. I really loved uh, the part where uh, the doctor is like telling the plan, and then uh, Bill comes up and like, okay, and what's the big showstopper thing? He's like, what? It's like, this is the part you never tell me. It's like, oh. Well, I'll most likely just get interrupted anyway. So, and then they just carry out. Like he never tells the plan, and she like called him out on it. Going like, "Tell me what the hell you're doing." But I just, I like the idea that she, uh, she wasn't taking any of his shit. And going like, "Just tell me the whole thing. Like I'm done with this. Like, <laughs> do it." <laughs>
do the Sorry, thing. Sorry, now you can Twitter. You, are you still tweets? Are you doing the Twitter song? I don't know. Jake, did Jake I, die? Jake's currently in the bathroom. I mean, if he's died, uh, I also liked the... Um... <laughs> he heard Terry come on. He's <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to go to the bathroom and make Sorry. some supper. And... <laughs> <laughs> all the references to fear that was also in this show. And it was a lot of uh, not being afraid. Like, being afraid is okay. Like, it's not cowardice or anything like that. And at the same time of, like, face your fears. Like, go get them type of thing. Like, there was a lot of uh, fear references that I really liked and were uh, portrayed and dealt with differently throughout this episode. I liked that a lot. Tweet, 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 tweet. Every day we're about to record, I ask the internet to give us their thoughts on the episode we're going to do using the social media platform twitter.com. If you would like to participate, you can follow us, Married to Who Pod, like these people have. Ode underscore Ollie at Ode underscore Ollie says, like Empress, this is really not an essential episode, but as a character piece, it's great. It has moments for each of the characters. I really like the premise. It seems ideal for Who, exploring a genuine historical mystery, and the fact it comes from Bill and the Doctor wanting to prove each other wrong is brilliant. I really love Bill and the Doctor's relationship and how they work with each other, but it's great to see them get split up and investigating by themselves. It's so reminiscent of Classic Who with the Doctor seeing one half of a conflict and the companion seeing the other. I love that everyone gets their own story and moments of focus, the Doctor figuring everything out, Bill inspiring the Romans, and Nardal just befriending everybody. It seems like they all get something to do to move the story along. And it's nice to see the Doctor having to take a step back and let someone else fix the problem, and I like how active Bill and Nardal are in stopping the Doctor from sacrificing himself. The speech Carr gives about the Romans is great, and very much in keeping with the series' anti-imperial and anti-capitalist themes, and so reminiscent of the speeches in survival in tone, if not message. The scene with Missy's brilliant, playing with us and the Doctor, using how much he and the audience want Missy to turn, and giving hope for that, but also saying that it might not be genuine. I love the interplay and chemistry between Capaldi and Gomez, it's just magnificent. Having mentioned survival, and I apologize, Jake, as I imagine this is a fun fact, having Rona Monroe back is fantastic. I know I said it's not an essential plot episode, but I really like her writing, and I think she made what could have been a simple story into something so much better. Looking forward to what y'all think, and very excited for what's coming next. Hope you all have a wonderful Christmas and a fantastic New Year. You too, Ollie. It's gotta be better than 2020. It's pretty low bar. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna put this year behind us. Um, I really liked what he said about the companion and the doctor each seeing half of the story. I didn't think about that until he pointed it out. Yeah. But that's yeah, that's and then also what Nardal, and cool. also Nardal and Bill stopping the doctor. Like that was like he he had his mind set, and how many people can stop the doctor from doing something? Yeah, that was. Kind of weird. <laughs> but he also got knocked out by a local. True. Yeah. yeah poor, also poor weird. Uh, but yeah, talking about like the Doctor and Companion going to separate sides of a battle. It happened a few times in Classic Who, as Ollie mentioned. And then in New Who, I can think of 
the doctor's daughter where Martha is like on one side and the doctor and Donna are on the other. It's a it's a f- good way of like humanizing both sides of a conflict. I think both Ollie and myself know that if the doctor could spend 11 billion years hammering against the most or the toughest Punching. metal wall ever that Missy could spend a thousand years fucking scheming. <laughs> I'm not biting, and neither is Ollie. <laughs> well, and it hasn't even been a thousand years. It's been way less. Yeah. Are you just, nibbling uh, at least? Just now, not even <laughs> nibbling. So. But off, she boy. cried. Are you, are, you it, are you giving it a little, a little lick, a little suckle, maybe? No, 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 no. Did you? I'm giving her the big sus. Is what I'm giving. <laughs> Did you not see those tears? Those tears are crocodile. That's Visine. She's literally just dropping eye drops. <laughs> She's got an onion in her pocket. She's squeezing her face. Just rubbing it across her eyebrows. Which were looking sharp, by the way. Uh, Ollie also brought up the writer. And we'll get to that more. And I'll explain more of it in a couple of minutes when we get to fun facts. Uh, Nick Forest Focus at Jury of One on Twitter says, I'm probably with Odali on this. I enjoy it, but not enough to remember a lot about it. Seems to be a pretty <laughs> consensus thing for people to say. The Crow idea is very sci-fantasy, which I really like, and you can tell that it's written by a classic Who writer by the more metaphorical and less rule-based approach to the monster. My favorite moment was that Bill and Nardal learned the valuable lesson of not annoying the wardrobe department. <laughs> I did not share Terry's enthusiasm for Bill's costume in this episode. But they all oh, don't need it. to be absolute winners. I mean, it was just like a pair of jeans and a long sleeve red shirt. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of sad about Nardal's uh, bathrobe in the beginning. I love <laughs> the color and everything, but you could see where it was stitched together to stay shut. But he, so that was kind but of he was, sad. He was comfy, man. He was, he was like the everyday man. <laughs> yeah, that dude was probably balling on set. The whole day. But also, the companions pick their own clothes. Like, they go with the wardrobe person out into the world, and they decide what clothes they wear. What? That's really? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, it was very norm core. Like, I was watching a panel the other day, like a an online panel, and Jenna Coleman was on it. And she stood up and she to, like, grab a glass of water. And she's literally just wearing, like, a plaid skirt and a black sweater. Just the, the things that Clara wears all the time. I was going to say, so... <laughs> So she picked all of Clara's clothing. That's that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. The actors always have an input and they like I think some of the stuff Bill's worn was actually just stuff that Pearl Mackey owned. That's awesome. That would be a that's cool sick. way of doing costume. Unless you have like And then you know the costumer like brings stuff like, Oh, I found this, check it out. Is this something you'd like? And like they it's a team effort, but the none of the companions wear anything they don't want to. Mackey actually wore a spacesuit on set one day and they're like we're changing the script <laughs> Cindy not that Cindy at needs more yarn says this episode's a lot stronger than I remembered it holds up good mystery Bill holding her own while separated from the doctor Bill figuring out the translation matrix bit late <laughs> I really wanted Bill to put a coat on though it Scotland is cold <laughs> That was actually my very first note, is Pearl Mackie looks so fucking cold when they're like just standing outside the TARDIS. Yeah, and if this aired in June, they would have been shooting it in the dead of winter. Uh, Cindy is also the co-host of the We React podcast, so check that out. 
It's great. Uh, Chris at this emo trash says, the doctor spends about half of this episode being a complete dick, doesn't he? <laughs> hey! See, I, <laughs> wait, who is this again? This Chris. was... Chris. Yeah, this emo trash. My boy. M- my new... The <laughs> Rob replacement. The gentleman we haven't heard from in a while. I miss you, Rob, if you're out there. Peace, brother. Uh, on the other hand, this is my first time watching it since it probably when it first aired, and I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Me too, Chris. Uh, this one wouldn't be out of place if it were a Hartnell or Tom Baker, as it feels very character-focused, more more on the side characters instead of the companions and Doctor. Unlike last week where I thought the side characters felt meaningless, this time you get to really understand who they are, what their culture is, and why they make the decisions they do. Even the small things like Lucius being constantly annoyed by Cornelius give the characters more depth. The actual monster, is it just called the Eater of Light or is there some other name? I don't think they said, which is annoying. (laughs) It's a good concept, but very underutilized. Its full power is never really shown, just a few bodies, which they even make a joke of, although Death by Scotland is hilarious. Bringing the two opposing sides together to defeat a common enemy is something that the show does often, but here it's done exceptionally well. Uh, You can tell that the Picts and Romans don't trust each other until right at the very end, and there's animosity throughout despite working together, again giving them actual characterization instead of blank canvases. Another thing this episode does well is introduce the mystery of the Ninth Legion to the viewer, since New Who doesn't go on the educational route very often anymore. I genuinely have the Wikipedia article of the Ninth Legion on another tab so I can read about them later. This one also got some of the lowest viewing ratings of any episode of the show, but rewatching it, I don't feel that's right. Maybe I'm the only one who enjoyed it, but this episode deserves more love. Hope you all had a great Christmas, but you better brace yourselves because I have a lot to say next week. Oh, baby. Oh, shit. Probably me too and everybody else here. Chris says something about the ratings being really low for this episode. I think that's more of a reflection on what came before it than this episode itself. People don't know not to watch it when it airs because <laughs> they haven't noticed that it's shit yet. <laughs> but even though you know ratings do bring in or include like next day ratings and next week ratings at DVR and watching it on iPlayer and stuff like that. But I think the Monk trilogy with the Empress of whatever, uh, you know, is like four blah episodes all in a row. Like, I am amazed anyone kept watching the show. Oh, no. Alex, give me that fun facts theme song. Fun, fun facts, fun, fun facts. Jake's gonna give us his fun facts. (laughs) Okay, so this first one here. Ever, all of our tweeters brought it up, and this is kind of a point I wanted to make about this story, so I was kind of saving it all for here. Um, the writer of this story, Rona Munro, she's the only writer to have ever, even to this day, to have written for Classic Who and New Who. So she wrote the very last Classic Who story, Survival, when she was only like 28 or something like that. And so she is the longest gap between two stories by the same writer She's at 27 years, six months. <laughs> it was ending anyway. <laughs> so yeah, it was 27 years, six months, and 11 days in between her two stories airing. That is almost but, our lifetime. <laughs> but this story, I think, has a very classic who pacing and I think would have been really good 
as like a classic who format in like four 25 minute segments. Whereas like the first one would be them landing, figuring out what's going to happen. And then, you know, Bill would get captured at the end of the first one, or maybe they'd see the monster. And then you get a story, basically a 25 minutes worth of the doctor and the Scottish people and 25 minutes of Bill and the Romans. And then they come back together at the beginning of the fourth story and solve everything. And That's I, super I true. think see, knowing that that writer comes from the classic era, it totally makes sense how this story is paced. That is super true. Like I would love, oh man, that would, that would have been really fun to see it in classic format. Agreed. And it's the kind of thing they love to do with in the eighties is make all of their actors go outside for a month and freeze their asses <laughs> off in Scotland. <laughs> Uh, I also like to look at all the actors and see if they've been in Doctor Who before or if they've been in anything else, particularly Game of Thrones, Star Wars, or Harry Potter. Um, Rebecca Benson plays Carr. Uh, her Both her name and her face look so familiar, I could have sworn she would have been in something big, but I hadn't really seen anything other than she was Tala Tarly in Game of Thrones, Sam Tarly's sister. Aha. Uh-huh. Nice. She's only in one episode, but... Uh, Big star, though. Big star. <laughs> on the rise. Got that money. Um, <laughs> Brian Vernal was Lucius, the leader of the Romans, and he's also Balatik in The Force Awakens. He's the guy who is, like, boards Han Solo's ship, and he's like, you made the same deal with Kanja Club, and Han Solo's like, no, I didn't, and he goes, tell that to Kanja Club, <laughs> and then they're on the other side of the ship. He's good. I like him. <laughs> Alex, give me that MVP theme song. MVP. Alex, who's your MVP? <laughs> I'm going with Carr. I liked, I liked when she was on screen. She had that like fiery Braveheart esque passion, but then was also sad of all the destruction that she accidentally wrought. Like, I thought it was great. She did really good. <laughs> Rebecca Benson. Yep. I love when the doctor says, oh, what did you do? Throw your action figures at it? <laughs> uh, Jill. Michelle Gomez. <laughs> Two Ooh, seconds. Steals it in a three-minute scene. <laughs> I said that. So I said that to Alex when we were watching. I'm like, yep, everything else went away. Like, it's Michelle Gomez. And he's like, yeah, she's almost the MVP. And I'm like, she is the MVP. But she's just so good. Everything about her. She's just fantastic. Sam? Pearl Mackey. Cody? CGI. They did some amazing work that wasn't really put in the spotlight. Is that milk? Is it milk? Well, there was... Yeah, milk. BBC Wales VFX. Real SFX. Y'all did extraordinary on that uh, interdimensional scene, as well as the monster in each scene as a whole. Terry? I am giving mine to Pearl Mackey as well. Woohoo. Um gosh, I was gonna say Pearl Mackey until Jill brought up Michelle Gomez. <laughs> uh, do I just do I just not give it to Michelle Gomez? Uh fine. I'll go Pearl Mackey. She was good. Woohoo. She got to shine. Um also in one of those tweets someone said like it's about time or like took her long enough to wonder about the translation circuits on the TARDIS. <laughs> But she hasn't, like in the stories we've seen, 
they've all been set on Earth. Say, or on planets anywhere? with humans on it. Yeah, but you can be on a planet with humans on it in different areas, because that's what happened this time. Yeah, but you might not jump right to it. And she figured like, it if... out on her own. Did everyone else figure yeah. it out on, the, on their own? <laughs> Nobody else did. Yeah, I was like, that that was super impressive. In fact, in Classic Who, only one companion ever even asked about it. <laughs> um... But yeah, one can assume if you go way into the future to some kind of human colony that they would speak English or Chinese. It is now time for everybody's favorite podcasting quiz sensation. The Doctor Who Trivia Pursuit slash Doug Benson movie game game. In this game, I'm going to ask all five of these people a question from the Doctor Who Trivia Pursuit game. If they get it wrong, then the next person gets the same question with four multiple choice options. If they get it wrong, the next person gets to guess from the remaining options and so on. The questions are random, so it won't be hard, so it won't be easy. And the order is random. It will be Alex, Terry, Jill, Cody, Sam. They're all they're also all really easy this week. That's what you always say. They always are. <laughs> <laughs> to Jake. You're the Wasn't trivia last master. Week? Last week you're like, none of these are even possible. No, that was two weeks ago. <laughs> I don't know. Alex, it is your turn to go first. Are you ready? Hit me. In the end of time, the doctor is warned that he will knock four times. But which unlikely person ends up fulfilling this prophecy? That is Wilf. Yeah. It's always Wilf. Open it up with it's, a Wilf. It's, 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 it's got to <laughs> be you. Of course, it has to be you. Yep. That that's that's highlight reel of Tenant right there. That was so good, man. I rewatched that the other day. That I've got so much more that I well, can yeah, do. I'm... Emotional. Terry, are you ready? Maybe. <laughs> um, in the hungry earth, what human activity wakes the Silurian race from deep hibernation? Ooh, uh, is it? It's either drilling for oil or it's mining of some sort. It's, or, ah, oh, goddammit. Or is it the... Keep guessing. No, it... Yeah, be sure to give your competitors as many things <laughs> as possible. <laughs> no, it's not that. Oh, it's the, um, the, the whole, like, echo, seismology like reading into the earth and they do that with the gravity slam thing to the earth and it shows the vibrations and then tells you where stuff is and that's how you, you are do. thinking of a different show God damn it. jill your multiple choice as provided by the card not they have not been devised by me in the hungry earth what human activity wakes the silurian race from deep hibernation is it war drilling Telecommunications, medical science. Drilling. It is yep. drilling. Are Always you kidding drilling. me? The first thing <laughs> Terry said. The first thing out of your mouth. And then you just kept talking. And then he went to gravity slam. <laughs> what <laughs> the fuck is that? It's the thing that they they put on the ground and they shoot it, and then it like shows off the vibration, so you can read into the earth to so figure out where you're you thinking need to drill. Of Jurassic Park. No. <laughs> They do that in that show as well. <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, show us a clip. Jill, you have one. Alex has one. And it is your turn to go first. Ooh, good. Another one 
that has the multiple choice on the card. But you will not need it. <laughs> the Hamoveriform was brought to the Torchwood Estate by Father Angelo and the Brethren. But what monstrous form did it take? What? And I won't need the multiple choice, you say? <laughs> I have no Just idea what think it about is. all the words. Ignore the word Hamoveriform. <laughs> Repeat, please. The Hamoveriform was brought to the Torchwood Estate by Father Angelo and the Brethren. But what monstrous form did it take? The Brethren... I have no idea. <laughs> That's in the question. <laughs> <laughs> These guys bring a thing. It's a monster. What does the monster what is the monster's form? I have no clue. Cody, your multiple choice are werewolf. Werewolf. Vampire. Werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> it's Tooth and Claw, it's Alex's yeah. favorite episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, Easy. I wouldn't have gotten that. What? Alex is just Tor- his leg is just bumping up and down. I'm <laughs> dying here right now. Half of us Torchwood Estate was the big clue there, Jill. The house that they're at oh, in that story is called yeah. the Torchwood Half Estate. Half of us wouldn't have gotten that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was thinking Cybermen because I was thinking Torchwood. No no no. Mistletoe varnish, baby. Okay, Alex has one, Jill has one, Cody has one, Cody is your turn to go first. Where did Lorna Bucket, the cleric who defended the doctor, grow up? Omicron, Persei. <laughs> we just talked about this, too. Did we talk about where she grew up? No, I don't. Well, yeah. It's the same. It's the place with the river, where River got her name, but her name was actually Melody. Anyway. <laughs> Sam. Atraxia. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Your multiple choice are. I'll re- I'll reread the question first. Okay. Where did Lorna Bucket, the cleric who defended the Doctor, grow up? Is it the Alpha Forest, the Delta Forest, the Gamma Forest, the Sigma Forest? The Gamma Forest. That's correct. Yeah. What a multiple choice. <laughs> that was supposed to make it more difficult. Well- <laughs> You said the Alpha Forest, and Corey's like, duh! And I'm like, that doesn't <laughs> sound right, though. Okay. It almost made third me lose. Card. That was my goal. <laughs> okay, Alex has one, Jill has one, Cody has one, and Sam has one. Sam, your chance to take the win. Or give it to Alex. Or give it to Alex. <laughs> <laughs> What alien technology turned people into gas mask zombies in The Empty Child? What alien technology? Is that what you said? Yeah, what a blast from the past. Uh, it was like little light things. I have no idea. Little light things. Alex? Yeah. Your multiple choice are nanogenes, nanobots, microbots, Microgenes. Going nanobots? Terry, your chance to tie up everybody? Oh, dear God. Say them again. <laughs> nanogenes, nanobots, microbots, microgenes. Uh, I honestly thought it was the nanobots, but I'll go microbots. Jill, your chance to win. <laughs> oh, no. Nanogenes. Yeah, that would have been my guess. I'm pretty sure nanobots are from uh, Big Hero Six. Well, nanobots are in a lot of things. Oh. 
I just Terry, like you had idea. a chance to give us our first ever five way tie. Yeah, Terry should have gotten the first question he was given correct too. <laughs> no, you don't get to give eight answers <laughs> and then say, and "Well, then one of them was right." It, wait fair. for them to say, "Yeah, that's right." Stop talking. <laughs> that was really funny. Okay, this is for second place tiebreaker between Alex, Cody, and Sam. First person to yell it out. How many years did Richard Lazarus's genetic mutation mutation device reduce his age by? 25. 20, 32. 15? Uh, 71. 40. 70. 69. 68. 67. Oh, Alex, it was 40. <laughs> That's so many years. I, I thought it was way more. He was wicked old, man. I, I started too high. <laughs> 72. <laughs> he was 300 years old. <laughs> a dog farted uh, Jill is the winner congratulations Jill Alex give me that paper crumpling theme song uh, this has been Married Who's episode on the Eaters of Light if you'd like to participate with us in our socials you can do so Married Who pod on Twitter Married Who on Instagram or you can email us Married Who at gmail.com if you want to listen to this podcast in any other way than you do you can do so on Spotify Apple Podcasts or Google Play or you can go on our website MarriedToWho.com and listen to all 156 episodes we've come out with so far uh, on behalf of myself Jake Cody Sam, Jill, Alex, and producer Terry, thank you so much for listening. Please join us next time for World Enough and Time. <laughs>